Good morning, everyone. We're reading today from Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28, and that's on page 718. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And now we go over to 2 Thessalonians, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. And that's on page 837. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and, and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was sitting on the exercise bike on Thursday and sometimes when I'm feeling a little bit lazy, instead of listening to a sermon, because sermons don't really drive you along to exercise that much unless it's a, a particularly feisty preacher that you're listening to who's kind of yelling at you. So sometimes when I, I get onto the exercise bike and I'm feeling a little bit lazy and need a bit of extra drive, I just listen to a kind of exercise playlist on Spotify and they, they usually contain all the kind of vacuous pop sort of music that your heart can desire. And when it comes to pop music, I've got to say I'm out of touch and if I'm honest, uh, I don't think I've ever been in touch I mean, don't get me wrong, I love a little bit of Taylor Swift, or Tay-Tay, as the youngins like to call her. But for me, listening to, to pop music is really like a fascinating cross-cultural experience. And on Thursday, I came across one song that was particular, particularly fascinating to me. It was a duet. 
which I thought had died out in the 80s, but apparently not. But even still, that wasn't what fascinated me. The main thing that jumped out to me was that in this duet, it starts with a woman singing, and she's talking about how deeply she's fallen in love for this guy, like falling into a bottomless pit. And then the men's part kicks in. And listen to the profound words that he sings. Na, 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 just be careful. Na, 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 love ain't simple. Just promise, no promises. Isn't that profound? Na, 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 it's not. (laughs) Just promise, no promises. So what does that mean? Now at that point I, I just couldn't handle it anymore so I changed to another playlist. I think it was called... uh, an exercise playlist for lazy, jaded, middle-aged men. But as you can see, this song left a lasting impression on me. I I was struck again by just how unsure and hesitant we can be when it comes to love. And I think that's true whether it's romantic love or any kind of love. It's not always easy to know what love is, and then even when we do know what love is, it's, it's not easy to do it. Our mission statement at T&E, which is sort of an extension of our vision, it begins like this. We want to be known by our love. I reckon it would be great to just be able to stop there. Imagine how easy that would be to remember, how simple that would be if that was our mission statement. We want to be known by our love. But one thing that the the duet song on the exercise bike got right, even though it pains me to say it. Love ain't simple. It's true. Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, says something a little bit like this, actually. He tells them that he's always praying for them, and in verse 9, he tells them exactly what he's asking God to do in their lives. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. What does Paul really want for the church at Philippi? What does he think really matters for them? Well, he wants them to have overflowing love. Love that abounds and it abounds more and more. But then notice the kind of love that Paul wants them to have. He wants love that abounds more and more in verse 9, in knowledge and depth of insight. He's praying that God will give them not a a simple, superficial, ignorant kind of love, but a deep, informed, insightful kind of love. And the reason is so that in verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to to the glory and praise of God. Paul's praying that they'll have a deep love that knows what's best to do, which comes from knowing Jesus and which glorifies God. And that's the kind of love, that kind of love, that we want to have here at TNE. And so our mission statement, it goes on like this. We want to be known for our love overflowing in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. Not a soft, sentimental love, but the same deep, honest, courageous love with which God has loved us in Jesus. 
I reckon it's almost impossible to overemphasize just how important real, real love is to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's almost impossible. Think about what God says to us in the Bible. So we just heard Mark 12, verse 30, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Or think about John 13, 34, where Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Or Matthew 5.44, where Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love of God, love of God's people, and love of everyone, even our enemies, is our calling. And as a church, our mission is, is to be on about this kind of love. Because if we don't have it, what have we actually got that matters? Well, Paul gives us the answer to that in 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13. He says, If I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we've got to be people who are known for our love. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to go deeper and think through how we can be a church where love overflows here, but also in our homes and in our workplaces and in our city, and in our world. This week, today, we're going to be talking about loving God, like Craig said. Next week, loving God's people, and then in the final week, loving the Northeast. But if we're going to have any hope of seeing our mission fulfilled, to have love overflowing, we've got to get something extremely clear right up front. And that is that God's love comes first. comes first in time, comes first in logic, it comes first in its quality and in its quantity. In every sense, God's love comes before our love. And we need to be extremely clear on this. God's love comes first, but it always works love in us in response. We see this in places like 1 John 4.10, where it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our love of God, it's only possible because of of His unconditional love for us. If we get this wrong, as a church, we're going to get ourselves in a huge mess. See, this is actually the difference between religion and relationship with God. In religion, human love of God earns God's love in response, kind of like you can see in that diagram. But in relationship, God loves us well before we ever love Him and His love of us enables us to respond with love to Him. This way of thinking, it has to impact everything we do or otherwise we'll think that we can somehow achieve our our mission as a church off our own backs in, the own, in our strength of our hearts to love or in our willpower to love. But the reality is that any attempt to love God and to love others that isn't completely fueled by God's own love very quickly descends into legalism, into fear, into hypocrisy 
into show and in the end it's just shallow. We need to get this clear as 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Our services and our songs, our kids program, our preaching, our conversations, even the inner workings of our minds have got to grasp that our love can only ever be in response to God's love. It helps, I reckon, when we remember who we are naturally, that naturally we're rebels against God and we're actually naturally God-haters. I mean, think about that. We refuse to serve each other and we refuse to serve God. We elevate ourselves above each other and we elevate ourselves above God. And how does God work to deal with our refusal to serve Him and and our, our elevation of ourselves above Him? Well, He loves us with a deep, honest, courageous love. He doesn't place Himself over us and master us. What does He do? Well, in Jesus, He lowers Himself down to become a servant. And through his humiliation and death, he offers a sacrifice for us that overcomes both our punishment and our refusal to love. That's God's heart. That's divine love, which we can only wonder at because there is no other love in the universe like God's love. And yet, we're called to love God like that and others in response Look at how Paul says it in Ephesians 5 verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a song uh, by a guy called Nathan Tasker that kind of captures this well. Speaking to God, uh, he says this, Well, you cannot love me more And you will not love me less, though I come to you with nothing, I receive your righteousness. Well, I come just as I am, oh, but here's the mystery. While I can come without changing, your love changes me. The kind of love that we're called to can only ever be in response to God's love. And there are three related but different directions in which we respond to God's love, which we've seen. We respond by loving God, we respond by loving God's people, and we respond by loving our neighbours, which for pretty much all of us here at least means the people in the northeast. So today we're going to do a bit of thinking about our mission to be a church that loves God. Our mission statement, it goes on to say this, loving God as we trust, obey and glorify Jesus with all of our lives. These, these three things, trusting, obeying and glorifying, they more or less encompass the shape of what it means to love God. And we're very quickly going to have a look at each one of these and then I'm going to finish with some of the things that I've, I've, I've observed and learned in my life about how God causes our love for Him to grow. So we're going to start with trust. Trust is the exact right response to the kind of God that our God is. If we know God, not just know about Him, but really know who He is, because He's shown Himself to us, 
then we'll know that he's all-powerful, he's completely good, and he's committed to us. And what's the right response to an all-powerful, completely good, faithful God? Well, it can only be trust. We see who God is, and we love what we see, and the first expression of that love has got to be trust. And when we respond like that in trust, God says, that's exactly the right response. And in fact, it always has been exactly the right response. In the garden, right back at the beginning, humans were made to express their love for God in trust. Or then a bit later on, when Abraham trusted God, when he trusted God's promise, God counted it against him as righteousness toward him as righteousness. In other words, God says to him, that's exactly the right response, trust. So as a church and as individuals, we want our trust in Jesus to be growing and growing. So how do we do this? Well, as we've already seen, it can only happen as we see who God is, as we see his love and respond to his love. And so as a church, we need to be on about helping each other see who God is clearly which is why we're a church that's on about the Bible and on about prayer you know I can I could tell stories about how God loves us I could share ideas and concepts but none of that will really help us in the Bible we hear from God himself as the Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to meet God himself as a church we we want everything we do here to help each other grow in our trust. And we're going to look at this more next week when we think about how we love God's people. The next way we respond to God's love is with obedience. In fact, obedience is really the other side of the coin to trust. They're slightly different, but they always go together. Trust on one side, obedience always on the other side. You just can't separate them. It's like um, an old song puts it, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. They, they go together, you can't separate trust and obedience. We obey God because we trust God. And also, you can't separate love and obedience in God's Word. 2 John um, chapter 1, verse 6 puts it like this, And this is love that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Love of God means obeying God, and obeying God means walking in love. Us humans, we've got this amazing and tragic tendency to turn God into an an impersonal, distant kind of force. You know, one form of this is to think of God as, as a kind of mystical, spiritual kind of power that you can experience in a vague way, but you really can't know in any kind of personal way. He's impersonal. And so you can't really know how he wants you to live in the details of life. And a different version of this, but same kind of impersonal thinking, is to think of God as a cold, distant rule giver, who cares about order and processes above people. But ways of thinking about God that make God impersonal 
are always an insult to God. See, is it impossible to know what God wants for us? No, it's, it's clear. He makes himself very clear. Does this mean that God values rules above all else? No, it, it's clear that God values people. God loves people. He loves what's good, what's just and what's compassionate because he loves people. Obedience matters because we obey a loving, good God that we know personally. And so we trust Him to direct how we live. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. So our mission is to be a church that does that, that obeys Jesus. So again, how do we do this? Well, we're not called to be those who blindly, mindlessly obey. We're called to be those who have a deep knowledge and insight into why God wants us to live the way that he does. God wants us to know what's best and then to choose what's best. So one thing that we need to do as a church is, is to always take the trouble to join up the dots. Our obedience flows from God's love shown to us, We obey because we're loved by Jesus and we trust him. I reckon it's so easy for for us as a church to slip into being a church that loves rules over loving God and other people. But that's not our mission. We don't want to be known for our rule-keeping, but neither do we want to be known for our rule-breaking, our laissez-faire attitude to God. We want to be known for our love, which means obeying Jesus from our hearts. And where we see each other disobeying God, love for God calls us to take loving action. And again, we'll talk about that next week when we look at loving God's people. Finally, the next way that we respond to God's love is by wanting to glorify Jesus. We want to be a a church that so loves Jesus that we want Him to get all the glory. This is Paul's heart that we see in Philippians in chapter 1 verse 20. Paul's writing from prison. He's facing the death penalty and he says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I'll in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What Paul wants more than anything else in life and in death is that Jesus would be glorified. We want to be a church where Jesus is always glorified by all of us, which doesn't mean that you know, we walk around saying, praise God, hallelujah, all glory to Jesus. It means that behind how we work, how we live, behind how we parent our kids, behind how we live as a spouse or a friend, always driving everything we do is this desire to see Jesus' name lifted up. We want to be a church that has a strong and growing desire and energy to see Jesus glorified. This will work itself out in big ways and in little ways as well. But as we're faithful in our marriages and faithful in our work and in our families... We could do it to lift up ourselves or we could do it to lift up Jesus. 
And our mission as a church is to help each other to do it, to lift up Jesus. We want to be a church made up of people whose lives clearly say, don't live for sport, don't live for money, don't live for fame, live for Jesus. We want to be a church made up of people whose lives say, as long as as Jesus is glorified, no, no matter what else happens, that's enough, I'm happy. Now, I want to finish by sharing six things that I've, I've learned in my limited experience in life, and I'm sure I'll learn a whole heap more. But six things that I've learned about, just in my own life and, and observing others, how God grows our love for Him. This is the first one. We can't grow our love for God by following a set formula. You know, to be convenient, really convenient for us as a church to say, do X, Y and Z and your love for God will grow. But it doesn't work that way because relationships don't work that way. If you follow a a formula to love your spouse, it's going to backfire at some point, I imagine. You know, love doesn't equal flowers on a Friday, cooking dinner on a Saturday and going out for dinner on a six-monthly basis. Those, Those things can be done out of love, but they don't equal love. And if your spouse discovers the formula, good luck to you. We can't say love for God equals, you know, something like reading my Bible every day, praying every day, coming to church on a Sunday and serving on a roster. We could do those things out of love, but those things don't equal love. And so when we say trust, obey and glorify Jesus, that's not a formula to love God. They are the frontiers on which our love for God plays itself out. We've got to keep remembering, God is not impersonal. God is relational. And so a formula to love would only ever be an insult to God. But second, I've learnt that certain things can help us grow in our love for God when we do them relationally, when we do them in response to His love. So just like if I never spend any time with my kids, it's impossible for my love for them to grow in any, any meaningful way. In the same way, if we don't spend any time getting to know God, it's impossible for our love for Him to grow in any meaningful way. So spending time in God's Word, in prayer, in serving alongside other believers is a great way for our relationship with God to grow if we approach it relationally rather than like we're following a formula. One Bible reading tool that I've got at home by Don Carson is called For the Love of God. And it's a really good reminder that what I'm doing as I'm reading God's Word is not following a formula, is that I'm relating to the living, personal God. The third thing that I want to say is is to us men, actually. God causes our love for Him to grow when we come to realise fully that real men love. Love of God is not a feminine thing. Just like real men love their families, and and that's not just a feminine thing, so love of God is not just a feminine thing. We love God as we trust, obey and glorify Jesus. And as far as I can tell, there's nothing unmanly about those things. The fourth thing I've learned in my life is that it seems to me that how we express our love for God can change with seasons and challenges of life. 
in most relationships, how we, we love changes over time, according to our circumstances. So how we love our parents when we're kids living at home changes when we're not living at home anymore, when we become adults. And it seems to me how we trust God and obey Him and glorify Him changes throughout life as well. But here's the thing, if we aren't expecting that, if we're expecting that our love for God will just always continue along the same as it's always been, it's easy to get confused, maybe even disillusioned, and for our love of God to stall. I mean, think about it, when you're a teenager with so much of life ahead of you, so much potential, so many decisions still to be made, still finding your identity and and your personality, that could well mean relating to God quite differently to how you relate to God as a 50-year-old, with many of life's decisions already having been made, starting to face the increasing loss of of family and, and friends, and perhaps feeling less of the potential of life ahead, maybe having found identity and personality but not feeling particularly happy with it. So why would such huge differences in life, different challenges, not be reflected in the way that we relate to God? God is real and personal. We go through seasons in life and in one sense our relationship with God goes through seasons too. But if we're not expecting that we're going to need to work at loving God in different ways, in different phases of life, if we expect that it's just going to stay the same, our love for God probably won't grow. The fifth thing I've learned in my life is that love of God can grow cold and die. Probably we've all seen this in in different people that we know and love. The thing about relationships is is they they never reach a point where you can... where you can say, I just don't need to put in any more work into that relationship anymore. Relationships are like living things. They've got to be fed. We've got to feed them. And it's a mistake to to just presume that we can leave them and that they'll always be there. Sometimes in a marriage relationship, the right thing for both people to do is, is to stop and ask themselves, do I even love the other person anymore? It's really sad to to reach that position, that point where you've got to do that. But the sooner you do it, the better. If we put it off asking that kind of question for years and years and just let the relationship get colder and colder and closer to dying, that's far worse. And here's the thing, it's a mistake to just presume we can leave our relationship with God and it'll always be there the sooner we stop and honestly ask ourselves, do I still love God, the better. Because it's an opportunity to rediscover God's love again. God's love, which doesn't fade, which doesn't die. And the sooner we we do that and rediscover that love, the sooner we can respond to God in love once more. And the sixth and the final thing that I've learned about how God grows our love is that Often he does it through really hard times. Not always that we can see it when we're in those hard times, but looking back, usually we do. And so in one sense, we can approach a sickness or a conflict or a loss or a personal failure as an opportunity for our love for God to grow through it. Well, I don't know about you, but already 
what we've seen in our mission statement makes me both appreciate where TNE is at, while at the same time thinking, gee, we've got a lot of work to do to fulfill our mission statement. This is a call for us not to be content with where we're at. It's a call to respond to God's love by trusting, obeying and glorifying Jesus with all of our lives. And this is a call for us as a church, but also for us as individuals within the church as well. Let me pray that God would help us to be who he's called us to be. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe at your love for us. Lord, that even though we were rebels against you, refusing to serve you, refusing to serve others, elevating ourselves above others and above you, that you responded by sending Jesus, who lowered himself down to be a servant of us. Lord, it's mind-blowing, and yet our hearts can't even respond in the rapture that we should. Lord, we thank you for this amazing love and for the fact that it not only saves us from judgment, but your love calls us to respond to you in love and to live a life loving you and loving others. And Lord, we can only do this if you pour out your Holy Spirit into us and prompt us, enable us, deepen our love and cause us to choose it. And we ask that you would do this, that we would be a church known for our love, not for our glory, but for Jesus alone. And we pray in his name. Amen.